welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. I'm Dane Cash. Very excited to be back with you here on, well, it's Sunday when we're recording. It's going to go up on Monday. Got lots of bike racing to talk about here. We had Milan San Remo over the weekend. We had Trofeo Alfredo Binda over the weekend. There's a lot of racing coming up. A very busy week of racing coming up, actually. Uh, lots to talk about. Very exciting. And again, we're still here. They, they, they're still letting us do a podcast, which is great somehow. Before we talk about all that bike racing, let's introduce everybody who's here. Cosmo Catalano, as always, welcome. Thank you for welcoming me, Dane. I am happy to be here. Welcome to a show that you, your photo is on the, the thing for. It's, I guess it's weird if I say welcome, but nice to see you, <laughs> I guess. Maybe that's the better. Uh, also joining us, coming back to the show this week, we have, uh, well, you know what, Ruth? Last time you were on, I said I was going to hype a different result every week. Santos Women's Tour Down Under winner, <laughs> Ruth Winder. Welcome to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. Hello, glad to be back. And Ronan, you've been on enough. I'm going to like run out of great things to say about you. So just hi. How are you doing, Ronan? Ronan McLaughlin? Uh, it's quite easy to run out of good things to say. Oh, that's me, definitely so. not true. Um, surprised that hasn't happened already. No, no. Uh, how was your St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> uh, it was great, yeah. Yeah, went to the parade, um, got a little bike ride. Uh, didn't get any Guinness, but you can't have it every week, can you? I mean, why not? We have lots of bike races to talk about. We had a monument, the first of the year, over the weekend. We had a big women's race in Italy as well, the Trofeo Alfredo Benda. I think we should start with San Remo. That was Saturday's race, which ended up being kind of as advertised uh, every year. In the past five, ten years, I feel like this race has just continually upped its game in its last half an hour. Uh, we, we've We've talked over the years a lot about you know, the the other many hours of this race. But regardless of how you feel about the length of it, the last half an hour of this race, always exciting. And it really was, again, this year, uh, really did not disappoint. Big stars, big action. Uh, history nerds will appreciate, as we're talking about Milan Sanremo and Binda today, by the way, 94 years since Alfredo Binda himself won his first Milan Sanremo title. Uh, of course, that's the the namesake of the women's race on Sunday. So love to get to talk about that sort of thing. Uh, Mont San Remo, Cosmo Catalano, last week he gave you 30 seconds. I don't know, Abby gave us a rundown in uh, 14. <laughs> Can you give me a 15-second Milan 15, San Remo 15 rundown? 15-second Milan San Remo. Are we having official timekeeping? or No, I, I think I, I trust you. I just I kind of want to see if we can do it you know, a little bit faster. Okay. Maybe every week. Okay. Maybe we'll get down to okay. one second. I don't know. I can do this. Yeah, let's go. There were 200-some-odd kilometers. Alaphilippe did something entertaining, um, then disappeared, basically. UAE went fast up the Cipressa. It wasn't enough. Bahrain went fast up the Paggio. It wasn't quite enough, but UAE broke it open. A lot of top names got where they needed to be. Matthew Vanderpool made the attack that mattered and followed it up with a good descent and slowed it away. His chasers didn't chase well, and Ghana actually threw in a really good sprint to finish second with Van Aert in third. Yeah. Awesome. Well done. Woo. You should do more uh, recapping of races. That's a, something you appear to be pretty good at. Check check Instagram. I think there's something there. So Vanderpool taking the win. That's his third now. Uh, monument victory coming on the heels of his Crossworlds win. So I'd say he's off to a fine start in 2023. Uh, I think 
there's a ton to talk about with team tactics at the end. There's a ton to talk about with all the other riders who were up there. I think we should just start with Vanderpool himself. I felt like that was really a perfect finish. Just everything. He did everything right going up and over the Peugeot. Uh, he won pretty handily in the end. And it just seemed like, I don't know if it was well planned, if everything just kind of fell into place. But yeah, from his form to his timing, uh, his descent was spectacular. Uh, I just really, really hats off to Vanderpool. It wasn't really that close in the end. And I think he he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, when I wrote the preview for this race, he kind of was coming in with a weird, uh, there was a question mark about his form because he just wasn't that awesome at uh, Strata. And it was a little unclear, you know, how good he was going to be. And now I'm wondering, you know, how, how much of that's just you know, all part of the plan because he ended up being in great form. Uh, I don't know if, that, if he'd really intended for that to happen, but uh, yeah, all, all across the board, I just thought he had a fantastic race. And I don't know what what maybe didn't we notice, or whether whether things that really stuck out to you guys about his finale and, and how he and and his team, you know, uh, ran this race. I uh, I guess the most notable thing for me was just how impressive he was with his in, initial attack. Like immediately from the second he went, it never looked like it was in doubt that he was about to go on to win this bike race which is never the case with a Pajio attack I feel like you've, you've always got that will it be enough won't it be enough but when Vanderpool went he somehow looked both uh, he looked like he was just pummeling the Pajio into submission and also looked like he had all the grace of I don't know a fairy angel or something <laughs> because it just was some combination of speed power and nobody else had a match for it. Yeah, I think the the timing there was killer. I mean, and we've seen the last few years now, uh, it's really right over the top, or even once you go over the top, that seems to be the way to win this race, at least in the last few years. Uh, you maybe follow the attacks at first, and then right at the top is when you go, and that's that's when he went. And it wasn't, it wasn't yeah, like you said, he he was gone. I mean, he he didn't have anybody really within several bike legs of him in a matter of seconds. Yeah, I think, I don't know that I would have ever thought to describe him like a, a fairy angel or had the fairy angels with him <laughs> because he's just so monstrous when he decides to go, but we've seen him race like this before. And I think just when he has it in him, he just, he doesn't look back and he just goes full gas. And for sure he waited like we, I think it was a little bit more predictable some of the moves earlier on and they just really had to follow and not get dropped and it's easier as a rider to just follow the wheel and not get dropped but it's harder to be the rider to just throw it down over the top and I really think that like he was just the first one to go and the first one to do it and I think it could have really been any really one of those last three at the end to do that but he just did it first with so much conviction and confidence that he just went away with it. So I really want to talk about that, Ruth, and, 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 and whether the others that were in that selection. I mean, there, were, there were four riders really kind of going up and over the top together. It was Vanderpool, Van Aert, Tadej Pogacar, and Philip Ogana, who, by the way, I was not expecting to do that much in this race. And clearly, Ronan knows a lot about bike racing. That was his pick to win. I remember he sent me that pick, and I thought, oh, okay. All right. and, and he almost, yeah, he finished on the podium. Uh, going over the top of that climb... Do you, yeah? Do we think that that uh, if if Van Aert had timed things differently, or or maybe if Ghana had gone, that he really could have gotten away? I I really think Ghana could have. 
gone with Van Art and I think or gone with Vanderpool and I think he does too. Uh, some of his, especially as you move further from the end of the race, some of his statements are very much like, I, "I thought about it, but I didn't know if I could do it without blowing up." And you think about the people in that group; he is the one with the least experience in that position. Kind of last four people on the on the the big critical moment of a monument. You know, they've all been there before except him, and I think he may kind of be kicking himself a little bit uh, as he thinks back through the race. Just, you know, maybe maybe I should have gone all in there. There's that. I think he also was maybe a little unconfident on the descent, about his ability on the descent relative to the other riders. So it's not something where he wants to be in the red and trying to do this descent and protect a gap or, or close someone down. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, hair-raising descent. I've never done it. I don't, have, have any of us ridden that descent before? It certainly seems to be pretty wild. Uh, and Ghana definitely, yeah, you point out he doesn't have as much experience in this sort of race. Uh, I'm kind of curious, and we'll get to Van Aert as well, but what's his ceiling as, as a one-day racer? Obviously, he has the power. Uh, what is, you know, wh- where is he going? Is, is he going to be kind of in these, maybe this and Roubaix? Like, are, are there races that he can really continue to do this in, or is this more of a one-off? I'm sort of reluctant to say it because I hope I'm not right, but I do think also this may well turn out to have been his best opportunity to win San Remo. In that he had the, he didn't really have any pressure on him. Pidcock was out. It looked like they were, you know, any of us were having to use their backup plan and see what the best they could get from the situation was. Uh, but as you said, then I had tipped Ghana because of some of the performances he's done already this season, where he was just making impossible things look easy, like correcting an, a poorly positioned echelon uh, scenario in Torino, like he was riding in a training group and climbing with some of the best climbers in San Juan and just generally doing things that didn't seem possible. Um, but having had this performance now, especially, I think, with the sprint that he pulled off, and we didn't really catch it on camera, so it's hard to know if it was a sprint or if it was a, a late attack that the others didn't react to quickly enough. But whatever it was, he finished second uh, on in Milan San Remo and first of that chasing group. And I think even had he come in you know, last, which would have been fourth of the chasing group, he may still have flown onto the radar going forward. But I know certainly, you know, finishing second in San Remo and finishing first from chase group will mean he will have at least some more eyes on him moving forward, which might make it a bit more difficult. Ultimately, I don't think it would have made it any more difficult to achieve second yesterday had he had eyes on him. But I think his opportunity lay in others not expecting him to be that good in the finale of San Remo and being able to launch an attack that within the last 2k that, that the likes of Cancellara did previously that if you get one second's hesitation a rider like that has the gap and you just cannot close to them because there's so much power and I I don't know if he'll be given that sort of freedom in future um, and maybe he doesn't need it maybe he's just got that much power he can he can break free <laughs> regardless of who's watching him. I was going to say I don't know that I've I felt like Ghana had gone under the radar that race. Like he was one of the riders who who went around to follow the the Pogachar Pogachar attack uh, earlier when when uh, he came around Soren Krag, wasn't it? Well, Soren Krag tried to do it and couldn't do it, and then uh, mm. um, Ghana was the first one. I think the first one who went around him, and then Van Art pulled Vanderpool back up, and it didn't. It just it seemed like he just kind of like it seemed like Ghana just did it. Like he was like, I have the power. I'm doing this. Versus, you know, Ghana's going, but no one's chasing him. So, but I, I wonder on a flatter course, perhaps Roubaix, uh, whether, like you said, anyone is going to have the ability to do anything about the power he puts down in a situation like that, whether they're watching him or not. 
uh, re the the altimetry of the course, uh, I do think he's been climbing way better than we've ever seen him recently. And I think that gives him sort of an added ability to win these sorts of races. Obviously, it doesn't matter much for Paris-Roubaix. There's, there's no climbing on that route at all. But I think this sort of race, and, and who knows what other races, maybe he starts to target. If he can climb a little bit better, which he has been doing, that opens up a lot of uh, opportunities for him. So I think, I, I just think over at Ineos, they got to be pretty happy to come out of this with a second-place finish. I mean, as you point out, Ghana himself probably thinks, okay, maybe I could have done a little better, but... Ineos didn't have Pitcock, and they still landed on the podium in this race, uh, which is which is pretty impressive uh, for, for a team that I think has done a really nice job of putting together the classics campaigns over the past few years that haven't gone their way in the Grand Tours. Just going back to your original question a second, Dan, you'd you'd sort of, if I remember correctly, you'd asked had any could anybody have done anything differently in that uh, or something to that effect, and I I don't think they could once Vanderpool made that move, and I, I don't think they could even have done anything differently to stop it. Perhaps Pogaccia could have played things a bit a bit differently but i i i think maybe ghana is just uh remembering the rosier times as we tend to do about our, our childhood summers you only remember the the good stuff and that it, i think you we work on instinct in, in that scenario and if vanderpool comes past you at that speed uh, you may well think later that you had the legs to follow but you likely probably didn't <laughs> and van art and in, in my opinion at least looked like the four the one of those four who was in most baller on the on the podium. Well, Ruth, you were the one who kind of brought that up, and I actually kind of agree with you, Ruth. Was there someone that you thought that might be able to have, have done something differently to, to turn this around? I don't know. It's I kind of agree with Ronan. I think that you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say, "Oh, maybe I could have." Um, yeah. But he Good just point. went with so much speed. I think unless you were the first to go, but unless you go full committal like that, it's just hard to get that kind of gap. And he just like didn't even think twice about what he was doing. He just went full force with it. Um, And it just seemed, I mean, obviously you had to be that strong to be able to make that happen. Uh, And we like to say like, oh, we're not going to let a rider do something. When in reality, like if you have the legs, you're not letting anybody do anything. They're just doing it and they don't they don't look back to ask you, which is how we saw Pitcock rock ride at Strada, right? He just went and that's what he was doing and he was riding his race. Um, and I just think we saw that from, from Vanderpool. I completely agree there. It's, I mean, there was a great interview post-race with Vanderpool where he said he wasn't worried about getting caught because he thought he still had good legs for a sprint, which was just like the absolute confidence and commitment. Like he was just on that day and he's such a coin toss. Like Sometimes he's an absolute space cadet, just crashing from bad position or in cross, like just nonsense crashes sometimes. He missed that ramp at the Olympics, and yesterday he was just so on. Like, he took, I don't know if it was an aggressive descent, but he nailed everything, and he's like, yeah, I wasn't going that hard. Like, it was just very, very dialed in and confident, and the complete opposite from Strada. Ronan, you mentioned Van Art. And Van Aert was my sort of pre-race pick to win. I, I thought that he, I, I thought that he was a deserving favorite, considering his sprint. Uh, he didn't seem to have it at the very. I mean, okay, he finished on the podium, so it, it's hard to say that. But he didn't seem to have quite the same uh, level to kind of go with the attack right over the top that I would have expected. Uh, but he had also, I think there were a couple of things that he could have done differently going into this day, and I'm a little bit curious had everything gone right for him would the race have turned out a little bit differently so first of all he was not well positioned 
going into the really the meat of the climb for 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 whatever reason he was a few uh bike lengths back in the group he had to kind of work his way up right before things kind of heated up on that climb he, he ended up being in a good position when it mattered but he did have to i think probably expend some energy getting there uh that's one thing the other thing i think he was glued to Pogacar's wheel and did a good job of following Pogacar and we'll get to Pogacar in a second because I, I do want to talk a lot about that but he definitely was able to follow Pogacar I wonder if he also spent a little bit too much energy chasing the initial moves down and then he was riding a one by 52 why I don't know Ronan we, we talked a little bit about this before well, I maybe well, I maybe take the last part of that question there, and I'll throw it to somebody else for the for the for the first couple of questions you threw. Yeah, given given my sort of geek status and all that. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, there, yeah, there was a lot made. I, I, I don't know if it cost him uh, the race. I would I would probably say not, but there was a lot made of uh, Wout van Aert's sort of equipment selection, and we actually have a piece on that on escapecollective.cc if you want to check that out now. Um, sort of look diving into the tech of the entire peloton just a couple of interesting things that popped out from the weekend uh, but in particular Van Aert's bike he had opted to run with a one by chain ring which for all of of all road races Milan Ring was perhaps the best uh, use case scenario for, for a one by chain ring anybody going to the baller putting on a one by are obviously doing it for performance reasons and, and so are probably going to think they're in with the hunt of Going for the win, or they're uh, uh, racing for Aqua Blue Sport, but yeah, go ahead. Or there, yes, but there, there is that also. But um, and as such, they are not going to be looking for a small chain ring at any point along the Milan San Remo uh, course. If they are, they are not going for the win. Um, and so, uh, only having the big chain ring, uh, getting rid of your front derailleur and inner chain ring, and getting some aerodynamic and weight saving gains from from doing those two things. Um, seems like a uh, and it seems like a, a logical thing to do. Uh, the question mark around Van Aert's setup is the decision to run with a fifty-two tooth, which would be smaller than what he typically uses. Having read with uh, Shimano last year, he would have been riding with a fifty-four. Riding with SRAM this year, I'm not sure what he's on the rest of the season, but I would hazard a guess that he's getting one of the pro-only setups, which is like a fifty-four front chain ring. Uh, and then for Sam Raymond, we've gone one by and gone smaller, uh, which when you compare it to uh, Mads Pedersen, who went also went for um, a larger chain ring in front, he went for 56, and Jesper Stuyven went for 54, and then Wout van Aert, who is arguably this, you know, a, a, of those three riders, despite Stuyven being a former winner, uh, on this weekend, Van Aert was probably the stronger and, and, and more favourite, and he went for 52. And I, other than, I don't know, maybe a 10 gram weight saving, I cannot fathom why he would have went for the 52 and not for a 54 one by which which Stram would also be able to provide him. And for more on that, you should go listen to the- <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm trying to hold no, back here <laughs> if you want the deep I, dive well, I, I really want to just tee up the geek warning uh, so yeah yes. I feel like that's a substantial amount of information to, to start digesting and if you want to continue to digest uh, Escape has other podcasts like Geek Warning so so go listen to those uh, I, for me the, the, just the general idea though is that Wad did a few things that I am curious if he'd been in a better position if he'd had 
two more teeth if he'd uh, yeah, done this or that. W- what does this race end up as? We'll never know. Uh, and I, I just think it's a little bit curious that uh, that he wasn't maybe quite. He didn't play it perfectly. Whereas I think Vanderpool really, yeah, he did. I I know I promised I'd throw the other half of that question to somebody else, but I th- I sort of think Van Art made the best of a, a bad situation yesterday. I, I I don't think he had good legs, and whether that stems from the crash in Torino or coming off a cross season or, or whatever. Uh, he also was out for a, a, a week. He must have weeks training through some sort of uh, illness. So I think, again, when the attacks went in on the Poggio, he, uh, and maybe it was just paying for having to fight for a position a bit more, but Van Aert was certainly the one who was uh, at the back of that four-man group and letting wheel, gaps open, uh, whereas the other three were seemed to be you know more in the race and more making the race Van Aert seemed to be trying to hold on um, and, and to come away with third in Milan San Remo, one of the biggest races of the year with not with have, having not had your best legs. Um, I'm, I'm sure he, although he has a hard time enjoying being on the podium without being on the top step, uh, I think he should be looking back and thinking, well, that's actually, I, I got the best I could have done from this weekend. Yeah, I'm, I am a little curious what is next for him in, in terms of uh his his classics and Ed form because it's interesting that that at this point and, and this was this point was made on the broadcast uh, right after the the race, Vanderpool now has three monuments to his one and I I, I feel like that's got a grade on Van Art a little bit uh, you know the the rivalry going back so long uh, I I I can't wait honestly to see more of that battle kind of playing out the rest of this this year. Um, Pogacar was the, I think all the talk was around Pogacar heading into the race, which surprises me a little bit because at the end of the day, it's the Paggio is just not that hard for a guy like Pogacar, who's probably the best climber on the planet, uh, to really show his his mettle. Uh, and yet, I thought he did an awesome job of just helping make this race entertaining. And at the end of the day, I'm really happy with the way everything played out. Kind of as a, as a fan, I think he helped make this race great. Uh, he was definitely up there animating things, did what he could, tried. Everybody had their eyes on him. I think that was, it's, it's so hard on, on a climb that's maybe not quite as steep. It's, this isn't the mirror, right? Like, it, it's hard to get away. And he still tried. He still made things interesting. And I kind of just wanted to, to tip the cap, I guess, to Pogacar for... I don't know, playing the role, make, making it fun, uh, being a, the Tour de France guy who then tries to, you know, put everything out there even for a race that was a sprinter's race for so long. I want to ask Ruth a question on that. I, I, <laughs> okay. I, I looked at UAE and they seemed to have a battle plan going into the race that they were going to make it very hard in the Chipressa. And who knows what the plan was after that. But it seemed like they turned on to the Chipressa and we've even heard in interviews since that they had a lot more headwind than they were maybe anticipating because of all the hairpins on the Chipressa, and that maybe scuppered their their plan. It seemed to me like they had no plan B or no flexibility to move away from that. When a World Tour team has a plan going into one of the biggest races of the year and you find yourself in the heat of the moment and that plan is not going to work, should the call have come over the radio then to change it? Should the writers have no one to change it? Should they just stick to the plan that they have? Or, or what's your 
you know what, what's your take on that yeah first off i just every single time one of those guys pulled off the front and then they were dying going backwards and there was still a massive peloton behind them i'm just like oh it was their job to drop people and they've not done it how depressing for each and every single one of them when they're going back there's still so many people that group is huge it's like the worst thing when you're killing yourself on the front just dying and then you get dropped and you're like wow everybody is still here wow good good on me on that effort i think at that point right like they didn't have that much option like what else were they supposed to do what other card were they supposed to play i think you know like they had to set him up for an attack they could have left it to somebody else maybe but at the end of the day they were just kind of looking to uae to play that role like it's kind of self i don't know like earned or just expected in some degree from it teams just kind of race a certain way for a certain rider so like maybe another team would have picked up that slack maybe they wouldn't have but like somebody had to make it hard or else it would have just been a mess and it probably was still easier for them you know easier in quotations to make sure that guy was in the right spot and go with that than try and change plan to i don't really know what to try and get him the win yeah i i think they played uh at you know, they, they put some bets on some cards they couldn't see. Those cards got drawn, and they weren't in their favor. And I think they still did about as well as they were going to do, UAE did, uh, with the circumstances. They got everybody except for three people away from Pogachar. That's right. Am I right when I say it that way? I think, I think you're right. We'll have to ask Kate to really be perfect okay. on that one. But, yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, I mean, it obviously they would have preferred the podium or the win, but, it you know, it's... The circumstances weren't in their favor, and they did what they could. They made the race really exciting and in a way that made sense, which is not always the case uh, with Pogacar. Um, and, yeah, I, I, you know, hats off. Uh, sorry it didn't work out. Welcome to bike racing. <laughs> yeah, I do think that if, if you're UAE, I, I guess Trentine is the other option that maybe is your is your other card to play. But they... They went all in on Pogacar, and I don't know, good on them. It made for a better race, I think, because I don't think Trentine's going to beat anybody in the sprint. Well, the, the follow-up question I was going to have there was, <clears throat> should they maybe have considered, each of the riders you mentioned, Ruth, were, were taking, as, at least from what I've seen, were taking long, long pulls on the front on the Cipressa, which suggests it, it wasn't at maximum intensity. When when they sort of found themselves in that position, anyway, should they just maybe have gone for the Pogacar tactic and just throw in the textbook out the window and went, full like proper full full gas you know 30 second lead out pulls uh just to decimate the peloton as much as possible could could something like that have worked possibly um possibly but i yeah. mean it's that's hard to know i guess at the end of the day right like in such a hard headwind too maybe that's why the pulls seem mm. longer i don't know yeah that, i think that's a really good point by the way ruth that the 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 wind in general made a big difference like we had a tailwind going into the Pocio. And that's, I mean, that's, that's race changing, really. Yeah. If you have a, if you have a headwind, maybe the sprinters have a chance. Maybe. I don't know about any, I don't know. I think sprinters having a chance with that group in the final would have been uh, interesting. Let me, let me rephrase that. Wapanot's really good at sprinting and Matthew Vanderpool's pretty good at sprinting and maybe they just wait for other people to do the catching and they sprint anyway out of Ghana a would have just attacked them all group. with the 500 meters to go anyway. Yeah, it, it looks strong. That, that is true. It, it was the second fastest Milan San Remo on record, wasn't it? And, and that was... Frustratingly, that was kind of mostly because they had tailwind all along the coast, but then the climb where you really want the action, they turned onto the climb and then we're hearing they got headwind, which... 
Yeah, uh, for anybody who, like myself, who was looking forward to Pogaccia fireworks on the Cipressa, yeah, that was, we, di- we didn't get that, did we? I, I will say that sounds like an extremely interesting race, like the actual blowing up of the Peloton on the Cipressa. I'm not sure anyone would know what to do in that situation because it hasn't happened in so long. Um, but I would I would do a Kickstarter for that <laughs> if UAE is interested. <laughs> Love crowdfunding in general. We should talk about the sprinters. Uh, we should talk about how this was a sprinters race. Uh, we should talk about Alexander Kristoff and John Degenkolb and Mark Cavendish used to win this race. And all of a sudden, that doesn't really seem like something that could happen anymore. And they didn't make that many changes. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'm just kind of throw this question to the crowd here. Why, why can't sprinters win anymore? What, what's happened? I don't really know the history of who, I guess, used to come, like when those sprinters were winning were the guys that were doing well in the tour or guys that were doing well in, I don't know, hillier races in general showing up at that point, or was it historically a sprinters race, therefore the sprinters were going and the sprinters were winning. And now I think we're seeing more of a racer that wants to do well in all of the races, and it doesn't really matter to them if it's historically a sprinter race or not, and maybe they see opportunity now that before wasn't allowed to be there. You know, we see someone that wants to race the tour and race the spring classics and do well, which I think is just a newer trend in general. I think that's actually a really good point where you, you've had, and and I think Nibali may have done a lot to help with that, mm-hmm. where you have a tour winner coming to this race and, and, st- and maybe showing, hey, this can be done. And maybe that's all it took. Uh, it, the cast of characters is a little bit different. It's not just the sprinters. It really is. I mean, Tadej Pogacar, as we just said, he, he played a great role. Whether whether or not they did the right thing, putting all of their you know, weight behind him, who knows? But it, it definitely made the race different, the fact that he was going for it. Yeah, I would say that you don't have teams showing up with a sprinter planning to turn this into a sprint uh, as often as you used to have. You, you It's... When you have two or three teams where their sole objective is to keep everything together and have their sprinter not in 50th place coming down the Poggio, uh, it makes it very different than when you've got two teams that want to do that and 10 that want to break it up. Uh, think of like Fossa Bordalo put a million dudes <laughs> to keep Pataki in the group uh, the, the year he won it. But e- even then, the sprinters who did win it were not like Cavendish almost lost to Hausler with a late attack the year he won. Um, and other than that, you know, John Degenkolb is almost as much of a classics rider as he's, as he is a sprinter. Eric Zobel was always a sprinter who could kind of get over stuff. Um, uh, Oscar Frere is another person who's not your typical, like line everybody up and do a sprint sort of rider. So I, I think, I think it's just sort of the pendulum moving around where you've got people who could, Wild Van Aert could probably be a sprinter if he wanted to just be a sprinter. But there, you have people doing more and more stuff, more versatile riders chasing more objectives. So it's not that same focus on getting everyone to the line. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Cosmo, when you basically said what you hear so often from directors going into Milan San Remo now is, we have a sprinter, you know, sprinter, whoever his name is, and if he gets over the podio, we'll do the race for him. But it's if. It's not like it was previously where sprinters' teams went with their sprinter as their leader. It's now... Uh, if the sprinter can get himself towards the finish, we will then turn our attention to helping them. But in the meantime, we've got Al Philippe, Pedcock, Van Aert, Van Der Poel, all the phenomenons uh, who can do whatever they want, uh, and we're going to race race for them, which means making it as hard as possible on the Pudgeo, which also means the sprinters are not going to survive. So uh, apart from Caleb Ewan, 
recently who somehow managed to get himself over the Pudgeo as the fastest sprinter, but ultimately he was unfortunate. There always seemed to be somebody ahead of him. Uh, I can't think of another sprinter who really could have targeted Milan San Remo in, in, the, in the recent past. Uh, we should say that one of the big news stories of the past few days, talk of a women's San Remo. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second. But first, let's jump over to the Trofeo Alfredo Binda, which was today, as we're recording on Sunday. By the time you're getting to this, it was your yesterday. Unless you're in Australia, which was like a week ago. Uh, Binda, Cosmo, 15 seconds. Can you Can you do it? Uh, I th- yeah, I think so. Um, I believe in you. Cameras come on. Lots of start-stop racing. Um, eventually, a break is established with three riders. Uh, they are given a little leash and then brought back toward the top of one of the climbs where Sheeran Van Enroy has to physically wave a motorcycle out of the way to make a big counterattack. <laughs> uh, she does not initially get a ton of space, but really sticks with it. Digs, digs, digs. The break comes clo- or the pack comes close. They move back. Uh, she has to n- not run into another motorcycle. Um, and then into the final climb, there's just no one left in the peloton to bring her back. She solos in. No one else in the picture. Teammate in second. Uh, Lisa Balsamo in second. Nice job. Really, really, really impressive. Um, also impressive for for Shireen uh, for winning, winning the race. But also just for you, that, that fast recap, I'm very impressed. I, I, I think Shireen's still coming out on top of that one. I, th- I think so too. We should, I think, first talk about Trek Segafredo's dominant day. One because yes. they did a, they, they played it really well across the board. I was very impressed with everything that Trek did today. And two, the storyline so far this year in women's world tour racing has just been SD Works, SD Works, SD Works, dominating across the board, playing everything perfectly, having the strongest riders. Meanwhile, we watched today's race and Trek. I think. Uh, they they played today's race as well as SD Works has played any race so far this year. Uh, we on this podcast are extremely lucky to have a former Trek rider and former racer of this very race, which is very exciting. So we can ask all kinds of questions. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, Trek today did everything right. Is the, to, So my, my first question is, did they do something today that we can maybe see as a blueprint for how to beat the sort of SD works juggernaut moving forward. The floor is open. I think that they just had numbers. And so often Trek put themselves in this situation where they blow everybody up and then they have one person left and it just drives me mad all the time because I'm like, did we have to do this? Did we have to like expend everything to put all of our eggs in this one basket? And at the end of the day, it's like everybody on SD Works wants to win the race and they don't like fully commit one person to one other person, which sometimes means that they have like three or four people to play with in the final. But Trek will just so often put all of their eggs into the one basket, which it does work out for them. They have won a number of races this way, but then there's been so many times where it just doesn't work out for them too, and they need more people to play the game at the end, and they don't have it. And today, when they won, they had that number, and it wasn't even the game that they were, I think, thinking that would work for them, or I guess the play that they thought would work for them, but it ended up working because they had so many other cards to play, and they basically neutralized people from chasing it, which is what SD works do all the time. So if they could do that more, that would be great. And in their defense, they have had a lot of injury and sickness and maybe not had their A team at a lot of the races, not just this year, but last year. And that's not helped them out. Um, 
But I think that's the biggest difference we see between quite a lot of teams and SD Works is just the numbers in the final. So with that numbers discussion, I mean, obviously we have an SD Works team that didn't have Vlada Kopecky and Demi Volering. Of course, I mean, almost everybody on SD Works is is pretty darn good. So they still had a, a, a pretty strong team. Mm-hmm. Is is it just that maybe SD Works didn't bring those riders? Or is did, did Trek Sigafredo do something differently? I mean, is, is there a reason that we had so many riders from Trek? Because if you look at that final group, Spratt was there, Raolini was there. I mean, they, they had so much firepower that, yeah, if, even if you did bring Van Enroy back, you're just helping Elisa Balsamo sprint to victory. Definitely, I think that many teams didn't bring the potentially their A team, while Trek still had quite a few from their A squad here today. Yeah. With the way that Van Anroy went, uh, is this something that we're going to see more from her? Because she's a rider that I think has been... Yeah, there, there's a lot of excitement around her. She's a very talented young rider. She's 21 years old, uh, which is... I mean, And she's been a pro... I mean, she's been racing at the World Tour level since she was 20 years old, which she's obviously a, a, a very impressive young rider who's been a prospect for a little while now. She was a, a continental champion when she was a junior. Uh, she was a national champion at the time trial when she was a junior. What do we expect from her moving forward? I, I just want to say she had absolutely no right to ride away the way that she did today. That you know, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, she didn't even have a gap and just... Uh, on the crest of the climb just before the descent sort of i don't know if it was like a false flat downhill or whatever but that that's the kind of gap that just gets you nowhere Uh, and when you come into that gap all you do is sort of destroy your own chances and your own legs but somehow she managed to forge that gap uh into 10 seconds which she had no right to retain for the the most of the last lap and somehow she did and she had at, at no the point i'm trying to make is that at no point in that attack that she made that she realistically have a chance of winning the race but also at no point that she looked like she wasn't going to win the race it, I, I, I was it just really struck me how impressive it was I almost feel like if she'd been the protected rider, if, she, if her whole, if her, she'd been doing kind of a lot of Capecchi thing that she might have given up and wanted to do a plan B because it was so tenuous for so long. And because she was really playing this teammate role with, with, with Balsamo behind her, she could be like, well, I'm just going to grind it out and make somebody burn a match chasing me down. And no one did. And that was that. That was that over like 30K. Broader point here. I feel like you have... I think today's a great example of why a lot of talented riders often sign with teams that have other talented riders, where, yes, you might be the second or third option, and yet you're going to have plenty of opportunities to try these attacks that might not work out for other riders, but they do work out if Balsamo is in the peloton, or whatever you want to call that group, it wasn't that big. Nobody wants to pull her to the line. So maybe your attack that doesn't have that big of a gap is going to hold all the way to the finish. And that's going to get you a big win, a big world tour victory. Uh, I, her first, by the way. Uh, and yet, I, I also think that, that Van Anroy is a really talented rider. I think she's got a, a bright future ahead of her. I mean, she's already got this big result, but at just 21 years old, I think we're going to be seeing her a lot more. Uh, what about the other kind of big names in this race? We actually saw a few of the big names just not really performing at the level that, you know, I don't know, you might expect. I mean, Webus was not there. It was a pretty, you know, tough course. But uh, what about what about Mariana Voss? What about, uh, yeah, Nui Adoma? 
I'm not sure what happened to Voss, if she had a mechanical or something, they just showed her, I haven't heard what happened actually, but it seemed like she just stopped in the middle of the road, um, which was disappointing because I was definitely kind of secretly cheering for her because who doesn't love when Voss, Voss wins her like 500th bike race? Um, yeah, and the other big one for me was just Kaziani Vadoma. I think she, I was expecting a lot more from her. Uh, she's been boasting about really good training on social media, and I think she has this habit of doing too much too soon. She likes to post that it's because she loves bike racing and she just wants to go for it, and she just wants to go with the flow and feel the feels and see what happens. And sometimes I'm like, Kasia, feel less feels and go when it's <laughs> yeah. smart, not when it feels nice for you. Because when it feels nice for you, probably everybody can still follow you and then like it's worked for her one time when she won amazingly I think it, it was Amstel gold race and she did it and it was incredible um but I don't think it's really worked out for her again and I saw her making a lot of moves maybe a little bit too soon and then she was just I saw she finished like 15th or something so she wasn't that far back so I'm not sure what happened when it came to yeah the final the final move I'm 100% with you I was watching that thing and the only thing Kasia was missing was like a big flag that said I'm about to make my move so that everybody would know that, like that was the only way it could have been more telegraphed um and yes it, I, I, it just seemed to be like on the climb every time we the camera switched back she was kind of stuck on the front and not really making a attack but also not not making an attack and then someone would someone else would make an attack and cash would be like straight onto it and that's like yeah it's just not what you see typically successful moves how, how they're formed it i don't think i was just gonna say i thought she did she did a ton of work she did a great job setting herself up for attacks and then joining attacks and then being too tired to do anything from there kind of over and over again she was in a a great looking move uh, very early in the in the broadcast with 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 Voss and some other people and just seemed to be the only one trying to commit to it um, and that did not get more uh, judicious with her efforts from there. Yeah, she's a super passionate rider that and she was in that earlier break and just really wants to drive it and make it happen and make make something happen on her own. It feels like sometimes she just really forces things a little bit too much and I'm a big fan. I think she has so much to give to the race. I just wish she would be a little bit patient because um yeah canyon stram had a number of riders in that group at the end too so it wasn't like that team was hurting for for maybe help and support there is this race not hilly enough for for new Yadoma? no i mean i would say like it really suits a punchy punchy hilly kind of a climber um because the climb yeah it's just long enough that it hurts obviously the sprinters and then um yeah, you just have to be in, in good position and really put it down when it counts, I think. <laughs> uh, Ruth, do you think it's a one-off that a, a team that is not SD Works was so dominant? Uh, or will we see a little bit more of that throughout the rest of the next few races? Like, are we going to see more people taking on the SD Works mantle? That's the hope and dream, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> SD Works is... is uh an incredible team and they've done a good job putting it together i think um if all these other teams can have their fully healthy stocked rosters uh, like today we saw cavalli back racing which was really exciting um that could be definitely helpful in the in the exciting bike racing to come uh trek in particular today certainly i mean did seem to have that amount of firepower with the roster they brought to this race Balsamo, the last year's winner, by the way, uh, certainly seems like she's in good shape. She looked awesome at uh, Nokura Corsa earlier in the week. Um, 
that had a, unfortunately had a late crash. She tried to get an attack and then crashed out of it and then chased back on and still contended in the sprint. I don't think anybody's going to beat Vibus up the, the Nokoroberg. Cobbles and pretty steep and fast running, but uh, Balsamo is still fourth, which was really good considering she was on the deck at 7K to go. All right, so talking about racing to come, we've got a, a very busy slate of racing over the next few days, even before the placeholders are going to publish the next show. So I feel like we should talk about the racing. But first of all, a lot of chatter about a women's Milan San Remo coming after 100-something years of not existing, uh, which is exciting, I think. Uh, Ruth, are you uh, are you looking forward to this as a... As a possibility is this something that the the women's peloton needs what do, what's your take on this i think it's exciting to always have these races come on on the calendar for the women i think it just brings a lot of chatter around the peloton um the same you know when we got rube added it was just really exciting for everybody and i think it just brought a new amount of people to watch women's racing itself. I never personally wanted to do the race, so I can't, like it wasn't <laughs> for me, but in the same way, I can still appreciate how it can be so good for the sport, just because when you have something that's so established and known, it just comes with, you know, just, I guess, a whole new viewership of people that are gonna just know that one race or pay attention to something, and then they'll be like, oh, there's, there wasn't a women's race? Like some people are like, oh, there wasn't? Oh, I guess I didn't think about the fact that there wasn't a women's race. Oh, women's cycling's a thing? I guess I didn't think about that women's cycling wasn't a thing. And now I know it's a thing, so I don't know. Cycling bubble is pretty small, so any kind of like big names and words we can take from the guys to help make our smaller section of the small cycling bubble bigger is is always good news certainly seems like a another example of the rcs finally getting on board uh they've traditionally been of the big race organizers they've they have not been uh, at the forefront of, of adding women's races to their slate and but now they've they're going to take over the the giro rosa and yeah uh the the idea of of them running a women's ball in san remo means uh, a big race will have a women's event as well there's so much made about what the course should be for san remo have we what are our thoughts on that personally i would love to see a similar finale to the men's race uh the beginning of the race it's it's funny i mean this is such a long race i i have said this before i don't we don't need to go into this too much but i the race is so long i know you want to start somewhere around milan and end somewhere around San Remo, but man that's a long race and uh i i honestly as long as we get a similar finale i think that's really what matters that's what makes the race entertaining yeah i agree i think that's kind of what makes it i didn't turn on the men's until 40k to go to be honest um and i was only excited for 27 or 26 and 0.8k to go or whatever it is so and i'm not sure how much would have changed if it was a lot shorter than it ends up being. I think those same four people would have been in the same position. <laughs> um, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> I I am curious about how the, because the women's world tour races, they tend to have smaller start numbers per team, right? Six. Six, yeah. I'm, I think that will probably make for more of an attacking race uh, over the Cipressa and the Poggio because you have just fewer bodies to draft behind um, and fewer bodies to you know do teamwork with. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how it plays out. 
Cosmo, you, you raised a, a point just now that I, I want to go back to Binda really quickly, which is the Trek Segafredo won with one one fewer rider than the rest of the Peloton. They had five riders. Uh, also, SD works, but most teams brought six. Just another impressive So day what for, you're for saying Trek. is when we were talking about the strength and numbers that Trek had, actually they didn't have the strength and numbers. Per rider, they're even stronger than everybody else is, is actually the mm. point we're making. Yeah, They were going for quality, uh, not quantity. That, exactly, which is uh, that's a good way to go. Uh, all right, so... What's coming up this week? We've got Catalonia starting on Monday. By the time you're listening to this, you will have already seen, I hope, because I hope you're, you're listening to this, I hope that means you watch bike racing, uh, you will have already seen the first stage of the Volta Catalonia, which is a race I personally really, really love this race. Uh, I think it's a fun, very climber-oriented event. They've got a lot of good climbs over there in Catalonia, and we're going to see some big names this year so let's transition a little bit into uh you know a, a quick recon ride of what's coming up i'd call it a recon i, I usually in, in the run sheet i usually list it as the recon redito but this is a catalan race i i don't know the catalan diminutive form so i apologize if, if there's any listeners out there who do please you know get at us catalonia this year we've got primus roglic coming off of his impressive terreno adriatico egon bernal return to racing which i'm really excited about they also have gary thomas on the team at Ineos, so i think that's quite a strong Ineos squad uh jai hindley for bora remco over at sudal quickstep and i think we're going to get some remco versus roglic you know uh early salvos ahead of the giro so a lot to look forward to there and again this is a race that really does suit the 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 traditional GC types with some hard climbs uh, at some altitude, and we're going to get some of those big names this year. So that's, I don't know, I'm pretty excited about it. By the time we do another show, we'll be able to kind of look back. We'll be able to Monday morning DS this race. Uh, so yeah, definitely tune into that if you're a fan of GC racing. Meanwhile, lots of classics style racing coming up. So we've got Bruga de Pana in the middle of the week which is sort of the contemporary evolution of a race that used to be many days. The increasingly uh, now, misnamed four days of Dupana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it's now they've just settled, all right, this is a one-day race, and it's a world tour race, and there's quite a few big names that are going. Maybe not all of the uh, riders who are going to be stars at the, at the Tour of Flanders, uh, but on the men's side, you've got Fabio Jakobsen, you've got Dylan Grunewagen, uh, you've got Sam Bennett and Jasper Philipson, Arno DeMar, Pascal Ackerman, lots of big sprinters for this race. Oh, yeah, Mark Cavendish. He's a guy. He's won some Tour de France stages. Uh, we've talked about him a little bit here on the Escape Podcast Network. Uh, so there's that to look forward to in the middle of the week. That's on Wednesday, uh, running, racing from uh, Bruges to Dupont in Belgium. So that should be a good race. Uh, you know, you'll have to be tuning into two World Tour races at once. I know some people have feelings about that. <laughs> I mean, you look at you look at NASCAR, you look at F1. They don't do this. Um, I think this makes more sense than Torino and and Pyrenees because these races serve two very different purposes, very different sets of riders with very different season plans. But I think you really just got to pick one and make it the World Tour race, and have the other one be the good tune-up for whatever it's the good tune-up for. I think the problem with this one is that Bruga de Pana should not be a World Tour race. The the tour of the tram tracks. Um. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's not a world tour race to me. I'm with you there. I think that's the right call. You do make a good point about different kinds of riders, and it's funny. I think that Catalonia and also the uh, Vuelta Pais Vasco, which comes up in in a few weeks, 
they very much acknowledge this fact. They know, all right, we get the GC guys, and Belgium gets the classics guys and the sprinters, so we're not going to have any flat stages. We don't care about the sprinters at all. Sorry. <laughs> On the women's side, we do have, some again, some pretty big names. It's, it's a women's world tour race as well. Balsamo and, and uh, Lucinda Brand for Trek. Weebus going to be back in action for SD Works, Marta Bastianelli. Yeah, I think that's going to be another another good opportunity to see a, a sprint showdown, possibly. Uh, and then later in the week, we get into really the, the, the even bigger classics, E3 on Friday, and then get level again men's and women's on Sunday. So that will be lots more to talk about by the time we have another podcast. There will be Catalonia, Brugge de Pana, E3, and get level again. And by the time we're seeing you again, well, we're not going to see you again. You might see our photos on your whatever podcast app of choice you have. But we're going we're gonna to talk to you again. You're going to hear us again. Uh, there will be lots of racing to talk about. Not just our photos, but our extremely well-designed icons. Yeah, yeah I agree. So uh, we, we, we're really happy with that. Kent Wibblegum, E3, great races, by the way. Yeah. Ronan. Uh, you you had an opinion about the world touriness of uh, Brugge de Pana, and I I definitely feel like E three and Get Wilbergen for sure deserve that level. I I remember the first time I went to E three, I believe that was the first uh, classic I ever went to, the first one day race I ever went to in Europe, and I remember getting there and seeing um, young people out on a lawn drinking out of a keg. <laughs> And thinking, this feels a lot like college football, but they're watching a bike race. What, what is this magical place that I'm in here? Belgium is amazing. i got to come back. So I, I do have a very soft spot in my heart for these races. Mm. Uh, yeah, can I just steal a quote from In Bruges, which is also Brugge? Um, it, it's like a fairy tale, isn't it? But uh, anyway, bad bad joke. <laughs> Both E3 and the Gent Welvegums are just the, the type of race that you're going to get excited for. You're going to sit down, you know, depending on what time you're available, possibly watch them from start to finish. Um, whereas my point earlier about Brugge de Pana was like, uh, apart from trying to watch riders avoid the tram tracks, you can just watch, you know, it, it, it's almost guaranteed to be a sprint finish. And what precedes it is two hours of live coverage where you're like, oh, can they please just get to the finish already? Um, whereas there will not be a single second of that in the other races. And hence why I think they are World Tour races. Also, you should watch In Bruges if you're listening and you've never seen it. If you want to hear more Irish people talking about the city mm-hmm. of Bruges, because uh, you'll you'll be able to do that if you watch that movie. Uh, we'll be back in a week, assuming we're allowed to keep doing this somehow. I think we I think we'll be allowed. We'll we'll see. In the meantime, you'll have you'll have some placeholders. You'll have some geek warning. You'll have some wheel talk. Lots of more bike racing podcasting to come on the Escape Network, which is you know it's it's pretty amazing. I'm pretty stoked about it. Cosmo, Ronan, Ruth. We'll see you soon. 